Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for listening. Uh, Check out our website at apologetics.org and follow us on any social media just about at the C.S. Lewis Society. Uh, Lastly, if you have any questions, please feel free to email us, a comment, whatever it may be, at information at apologetics.org. Well, we have a very exciting guest today. He was on here last week, uh, and it was an awesome time. We had a really good time, and that's Clayton Brumby. Clayton, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Nick. Good to be with you. Yeah, that's good to hear. And it's funny, uh, last week we sort of talked about how you do this play, like a performance um, called Siegfried and Me, where you come up and you present the views uh, of an atheist professor, uh, and then you come back up as yourself and you answer all of those objections that the atheist professor had made to Christianity. And I had a student uh, recently who I, I was telling our students about what you kind of do, and I said, oh, I did this cool interview with this guy named Clayton Brumby, and uh, one of our students said, hey, he's been to my church before. <laughs> and and I was like, awesome. Yeah. So there was yeah, a little yeah. bit of context there. But uh, yeah, neat. yeah it, it was definitely exciting to hear. <laughs> go, yeah. go Clayton Brumby. Um, but you wanted to get into something today called that you call the four bases. Last week we sort of talked a little bit about the scientific side of things, and we got a lot into Darwinism and uh, the Kalam cosmological argument, and uh, that that was a really good time. But this week, you wanted to get into what you call the four bases. So what is that? Well, it's uh, I got to thinking the simple concept is uh, Major League Baseball has four bases, so Major League Apologetics has four bases. And they're basically uh, logic, science, uh, the existential question, how we understand our own existence, uh, morality, things like that, meaning, and history. And the worldview that addresses those four bases uh, most successfully and most comprehensively would be the true worldview. We live in a, we live in a culture today that is post-Christian, many people think, um, and uh, the, the fact of the matter is post-Christian culture is a secular culture, and secularism, uh, philosophical materialism, metaphysical naturalism, uh, has tremendous problems in adequately answering these four areas. Christianity doesn't. Christianity uh, covers them like a blanket. And I wanted to go through and recap some of the things that we said last week um, and then get off on a couple of, uh, of the last two bases this morning. First thing we did last week was we talked about whether or not a worldview can adequately address logic. And logic, uh, we're right out the door with this. Gottfried Leibniz, one of the great philosophers uh, back about 500 years ago, asked the first question of philosophy when he asked, why is there something instead of nothing? Profound question. It's the first question upon which every other question is is based. Uh, it, secularism and naturalism and materialism cannot answer that question and we talked about the Kalam cosmological argument being basically a logical syllogism things that begin to exist have a cause the universe began to exist the universe has a cause 
Uh, space, time, and matter began at the beginning of the universe, meaning that the cause of space, time, and matter would have to be outside of space, non-spatial or transcendent, outside of matter, immaterial or spiritual, outside of time, timeless or eternal, which are three basic characteristics of a God figure. The other aspect of that is that <clears throat> he would also have to be volitional and rational uh, to decide to create because the universe didn't exist and then it did. So at some point in time that decision was made and here we are. Uh, materialism has no ability to answer that because materialism starts from the universe on and cannot go back beyond that horizon. So here's the very first place where materialism and secularism get stopped and stopped hard. Christianity or theism can go back beyond that and answer that question adequately. Then we went to Darwinism and uh, and showed how Darwinism falls on its face coming out the door. Uh, their, their formula of mutation and selection, we can't even begin <clears throat> that process without the very thing that Darwin said would cause his theory to absolutely break down, his falsification criterion, mm -hmm. which said if it, can, if it can be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. What he was talking about there was a complex where two or three things are operating together to perform a function. Well, to get to mutation, start the mutation uh, uh, selection process, the mutation resides in the DNA. The DNA has to be opened by a machine called the helicase, and then it has to be read and copied by a machine called the RNA polymerase. Uh, so you have three things operating together to perform a function, the very first step in gene expression. And then we take that transcript off and we edit it. We take that edit off and we produce something from that plan, uh, a finished product, a protein, basically, that will then go off and either become part of a feature or the feature itself that can then be selected for, which is the very first time the Darwinism gets a chance to see anything. Everything else before that was under the Darwinian radar, which means that Darwin didn't create uh, an irreducibly complex system that got us from mutation to selection. Uh, that happened beforehand. Now, mm -hmm. someone would say to me, well, gee, haven't you ever heard of chemical evolution? You know, chemical evolution... <clears throat> is the thing that cobbled all of this together before we get to DNA. <clears throat> and that's, and, and I, I, I go back to a comment that was made by Jim Tour, who's a synthetic organic chemist at Rice University, and he made this comment. He said, if one asks the molecularly uninformed how nature devised reactions with such high purity, the answer is often nature selects for that. But what does that mean to a synthetic chemist? What does selection mean? To select, it must rid itself of all the material it did not select. And where did all the, the, the needed starting material come from? And how does it know what to select when the utility is not assessed until many steps later? The details are stupefying. And the petty comments demonstrate the sophomoric understanding of the untrained. He's basically wow. wiping out the entire Darwinian community right there because he says you have no place to start. Casper told us that you can't get from chemistry to biology. You can't get from the inanimate chemical world to the life world. It's a bridge too far. And I would su submit to you that it's not a bridge too far. It's another universe wow. too far. It's a universe apart. Um, that's, the de that's the difference between chemistry and biology. So um, we, we, and, then, and then when we look at the DNA and, and the material that it, it carries, the, the information for all of these constructions and life is laid out in the bases running along inside the DNA. Well, 
those bases attach to the sugar in the sugar phosphate chain. Any base can attach, all bases are accepted, none are preferred, so what is it that lays out the informational sequence like the spelling of a word in the DNA? And it's like typesetting in a newspaper. I look at the front page of a newspaper and I see ink and paper, but it's not the chemical components or the characteristics of the ink and pa paper that lay out that information. It was the typesetter that did that, someone who transcended um, those components. So when we're looking at the bases in DNA, what laid them out in a, in a language that could be understood by an entire system of genetics uh, had to be a mind. Well, theism can answer that, and this is what Stephen Meyer calls the signature of the cell. Uh, theism can answer that. Uh, atheism, materialism, secularism cannot. So uh, if, on these first two bases, theism trumps secularism right off the bat. So, so you're, you're kind of saying <clears throat> that even from a scientific standpoint, Christianity sort of is the winner here. It's the winner, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Agreed. And, and I'm not just... not. Christianity per se, but because we'll get to that point in a moment. Or theism, the, rather. Theism does. Mm -hmm. uh, the God question is better uh, is the better uh, formula to use in answering these two questions. Now, there's a third one that always comes up in the midst of all these conversations, and that's the problem of evil, and how is it that evil exists in a world created by an all-good God. It's kind of a cause and effect. If God's all good, how is it that what he made is so messed up? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a two-edged sword, because if you're looking at secularism and and uh, and humanism and, and materialism, they have no answer for where, for the whole concept of evil. Richard Dawkins had made the comment uh, that in a universe where there is no design or purpose, there is no evil or good. There is nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. We are simply molecules going through the motions, doing what we do at these temperatures and under these conditions. So, and uh, the stories are horrible, but the little lady's out walking her small miniature dachshund, and the owl comes out of the tree and grabs the, the dog and carries it off, and the dog is destroyed by the owl. Well, we don't. We look at that and say, "Wait, that's horrible," but we don't say that's evil, mm -hmm. because the owl cannot do anything that is evil. Uh, we we say that's just gosh, it's unfortunate. So, in a world where um, where we don't have, and there's two there's two levels of this. There's what we call um, uh, moral epistemology, where we know instinctively what is evil. We know that the rape and murder of a child uh, is evil, and, and everybody can say that. St. Harris can say that, and he's an atheist, but he doesn't have a basis for saying that, and that's what uh, we found out when he debated William Lane Craig at Notre Dame. Oh, uh, yes, very, we did. <laughs> he's a very personable guy, and he's very compelling, but when it came to the argument itself, mm -hmm. uh, William Lane Craig uh, took the debate hands down because Craig had something to refer back to that could actually define what evil is. So moral epistemology tells us we know instinctively what might be evil or what might be good. We just don't understand where it comes from. Uh, that's called uh, moral ontology, and I'm going to give you a, a little formula uh, that I use when I'm, I'm teaching this. A directive or prohibition is not valid or binding unless it's issued by a legitimate authority with the capacity to enforce it. That's where we get wow. the basis for morality. Again, I'll say a directive or prohibition is not valid or binding unless it is issued by a legitimate authority with the capacity to enforce it. So here's the illustration. I have my teenager come in, and then he says, hey, Dad, it's, uh, it's homecoming night. 
or it's Halloween or it's, it's New Year's and I, there's a party at Susie Q's house and I, and I want to go and I'll be home about two. <coughs> Excuse me. And I say, no, son, it's raining outside. There are lots of shenanigans going on. People are, um, are drinking. I want you home by midnight. Oh, Dad, I want you home by midnight. Well, that's a directive and a prohibition. Be in by midnight. Don't be out after midnight. I can give that to him. I have the moral capacity to do that as the father uh, in the house. Now, his 10-year-old sister comes to him and says, I want you home by midnight. Well, it's the same directive, be in by midnight. It's the same prohibition, don't be out after midnight. <clears throat> but she has no authority. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at the world around us and we say that's evil, you know, and you're in a conversation with somebody and they say, well, that's evil, and you can stop them and say, when did you begin to believe in God? Well, I don't believe in God. We just use the term evil. Evil is the exception to the rule, not the rule itself. It's used, though, as an admission that the rule exists. But the rule couldn't carry any weight. It wouldn't have, have any validity or, or it would be binding unless it's issued by a legitimate authority with the capacity to enforce it. Yeah, and, and, and you're sort of saying that otherwise it just comes down to morality is reduced to preference. Yeah. Like me saying uh, there's no difference between helping an elderly woman bring in groceries and murdering an elderly woman. It's just preference because there it's is no preference. actual objective authority right. uh, for good and evil. Exactly. We can call the Holocaust horrible or regrettable. Mm-hmm. We can call what ISIS did to the religious minorities in Syria, Syria and Iraq monstrous, but we can't use the term evil. They were uh, just dancing to their DNA. Sec- yeah, this, yeah, they're dancing to their DNA. So that's why objective moral values and duties is a category that is inaccessible to atheism. And it isn't that atheists can't be moral or ethical. The ones that I know certainly are. Mm-hmm. It's just they have no legitimate authoritative basis for those values and duties. Um, so like Christopher Hitchens said, we didn't come to Mount Sinai to understand that murder, theft, and perjury were wrong. We already knew that before we got there. We came to Mount Sinai to find out who's telling us that and mm-hmm. why we are, uh, why we're um, obligated to keep them. So we get to that third base, and, and then, you know, in Sigrid and me, we have the chance to go through <clears throat> two formulas in college that are uh, uh, – thrown at Christians, the Epicurean Paradox and uh, and the Euthyphro Dilemma is what is moral love by God because it's moral or is it moral because it's love by God? And they think, oh, gosh, how do I answer that? And uh, we go through that in Siegfried and Me. If people want to see how that's handled, they could go to SiegfriedandMe.com. The entire two-hour presentation verbatim is laid out on that website. And where can we find that? SiegfriedandMe.com. Okay, awesome. I'll put that okay. description so, down there. Yeah, so if they, they say, okay, so how do I answer the Euthyphro dilemma or or uh, uh, or the Epicurean paradox? We deal with those in the drama, so that because kids get slaughtered when they go to college, uh, because they don't know how to answer that, they look like, oh gosh, you know how do I, you know, and they look stupid in class. If they have those answers, uh, they can they can deal with that. So, mm-hmm. so we've dealt with the existential, the problem of evil being the two-edged sword. One would be for Christianity to answer that, and one would be for, uh, for, the, for the seculars to answer it. And I wish we had more time to deal with it. But then the last space is the historical. And the historical, really, the, the, like uh, Godfrey Leibniz's question, why is there something instead of nothing? That's the first question in philosophy, the pivotal event and all of human history is the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection from the dead of Jesus, the Son of God. Because what does that do? Well, if he claims to be not only the Son of God, but God the Son, if he goes to the, and he makes 
incredible claims during his ministry among us, and then he is killed and then he rises from the dead, he substantiates his claims. He proves that he's the son of God. Well, that would mean that God exists. That would mean that God is personal. That would mean that we know that, that our lives have meaning and purpose, cosmic meaning and purpose, mm-hmm. uh, and an inestimable value were made in God's image. So we can we have something to base our unalienable rights on um, because God exists. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then it's all up for grabs again. And we're back to uh, where we have been sinking into the mire in Western culture, which is secularism. Now, there are apologetics about uh, the rising of the dead of Jesus. It's one of the best attested events in antiquity. Um, and it and it's pivotal because it is the event through which every other event should be seen. Um, now, this raises kind of an interesting question in, in the secular mind, <clears throat> which I've I've seen raised by by atheists, and that is, what is this death of Jesus about? What kind of religion is this where God demands His Son to go through something this hideous? And we have people that will say that's the that's the the worst example of child abuse imaginable. It's the mm-hmm. most heinous example of child abuse imaginable. And again, as happens in so many, 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 many cases, secularism gets it wrong again. So here's the other side to that story. Uh, God is not only the creator of the universe and the great lover of his creation, but he's also its chief justice. And as such, he has an uncompromising position with uncompromising responsibilities. Now, with that in mind, let me lay out a scenario for you. If I walk into a convenience store and shoplift a candy bar and get caught, I face a certain consequence. If I down a 12-pack of beer, climb into a car and kill somebody, I face another consequence altogether. In each case, the punishment fits the crime. Mm -hmm. Here's the real issue where we're all stuck in humanity. If I sin against the infinite holiness of an infinite being, the consequences to be just must be infinite. The problem is that you and I are finite, Nick. We can't experience infinite consequences in a finite period of time, our lifetime. We can only experience those infinite consequences in an infinite period of time, which is what the Bible calls eternal damnation. There is but one alternative to this, only one, and that is if for us, for you and me, an infinite being, someone of infinite worth, experiences those infinite consequences in a finite period of time. And this is what Christians call Good Friday. Wow. Jesus had to be human to pick up the tab. He had to be divine to pay it. And that's why there's no one else in all of human history that could do what he did because there was no one else who, who was what he was, the God-man. Yeah, right. Okay. okay. Wow, so, that's powerful. Well, yeah, and but you look at that statement and say, oh, that's kind of a fancy-schmancy theological thing. But to God, it was intensely personal. The secularists would say, you know, what has to understand, and he's right, that was God's son on the cross. The cost to pull all this off for us was incalculable. Why did he do it? He did it because God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. God loves us. The whole deal here is based on love. So when we come back to those four bases, the one that can answer all four the best is Christianity because it's proved itself in time and space. Wow. And and 
I mean, that's something that for those who listen, listening who may not be believers, even for believers, that's such a, th- it, we think about it constantly, that God had loved, uh, Romans says, sinners, while we were sinners, he loved us so much that he sent Christ to die for us. I mean, that's just something that is so difficult to wrap your mind around, but it's true. Uh, it, I mean, it's just so amazing. There's a reason that, I mean, the song Amazing Grace is the most covered song of all time, because it really mm-hmm. is that incredible. Sure. Sure. Um and yeah, no, have, that, that's such a powerful point. You'll have people listening that will say, you know, I appreciate the whole story that God loves me, but he doesn't know me. I mean, he, this guy on the radio doesn't know what I've done in my life, and I've done <clears throat> horrible things in my life, or God could never forgive me for X, or God can never forgive me for Y. I remember mm-hmm. seeing a poster <clears throat> of a surfer on the face of a wave. The wave was 90 feet tall. It was a tsunami. Basically, he was he was surfing on what would we would consider tsunami. It was a wave off of Portugal where the tallest waves in the world are found. Now, when the waves come in and hit the shore, they hit rocks. And I'm looking at this guy on the face of this wave, and I'm saying, "How did you survive this?" Well, he did. He he was an expert surfer. He knew what he was doing. But I I think of people that say, "I have too much in my life that's wrong, that God can't love me." And I'm thinking, if you've ever been to the beach and you built a drip sandcastle, or you took the whole day and you built this elaborate sandcastle, and all of a sudden at 4.30 in the afternoon there's been an earthquake off the shore, and I'm looking at a 90-foot wave coming at that beach. What do you think is going to happen to that sandcastle? It's going to be obliterated. (laughs) Not going to last. Or we say, gosh, I've done a lot of cool things in my life. Mother Teresa, I've been in, and I've done this, and I've served that, and I've fed the hungry, I've done this, and all that. That's a little sandcastle. The wave coming ashore is the righteousness of Christ. It will obliterate all of your good works. It will obliterate all of your sin. There's nothing that will stand in its way. Mm-hmm. People need to understand the immense value of the holiness and the righteousness of the Son of God, his ability to cover anything and everything that we've ever done, good or bad. It doesn't matter. The doorway to heaven <clears throat> is paved <clears throat> excuse me, the doorway of heaven is paved by his value. Wow. And his worth, not who and what we've done. Amen. So it's really the answer to that is is not God loves you because you're so good, but he loves you because he's good. Um, and that I love that analogy with the sandcastle and the wave. That's awesome. Um, and we have we have about a minute and a half. If you could huh? leave, we, we have about a minute and a half left. If you could leave uh, our listeners with maybe just a quick word of advice from somebody who's done a lot of cool stuff with the performance you do and, and just sharing the, the gospel and the defense of the gospel, uh, what, what would you give our listeners for just a word of advice? Oh, gosh. Um, if there's a question out there, out there against Christianity because it is the truth, If there's a question out there that's troubling you, look for the answer. Come to apologetics.org. Send us the question. Yes. Uh, Yeah, send us the question. We'll point you to the resource that answers it. There is no question that you face on the college campus, in a humanities class, biology class, uh, or any class, religion class, can the Gospels be trusted? Yes. And here's the reasons for that. If you have a question, if you're being stumped by somebody, I've got an atheist friend that's asked me X, what's the answer to that? Or how do I approach that? Send us the question at apologetics.org. We'll point you towards the resource. Apologetics, understanding the profound strength of your faith, 
means that you invest yourself and start in small steps and you start reading and you read more and you read more and you read more and you read more, and you read more until you're on top of this stuff. Wow. And thank you again so much for being here. Uh, for those of you who may have tuned in late, his, this is Clayton <coughs> Brumby. Check out SiegfriedandMe.com. Is it .com? .com, yeah. com. You'll find some awesome stuff there. I've seen them do it in person. It is incredible. It's awesome. Uh, so check that out. And as always, and as Clayton had just uh, reiterated, if you have any questions, any comments, send us an email at or information at apologetics.org. That's information at apologetics.org. Don't be shy. A human being will answer you. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. We'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.